We'll begin. So, we have been learning, we started learning uh, the Nevi'im, and we started with Yehoshua, and we finished um, our summary. Of course, um, anything we're doing is a summary, and there's so much more to learn and everything, but we have, uh, over the past four or five classes, we cover the Sefer Yehoshua, and therefore we will begin tonight learning the next Sefer, which is Shoiftim. And that's the second Sefer of the Nevi'im, of Tanakh. Um, the story, Shoiftim, as the word itself uh, indicates, means judges. And it really spans a great, a, a number of years, <coughs> excuse me, a couple of hundred years of the history of Chal Yisrael. Um, very not easy years. It really takes us from after Yehoshua until where we're going to come to the um, era of kings, of Melachim. Right? The way um, we were built as a nation from the giving of Torah is initially we had, of course, Moshe Rabbeinu, who led and taught and inspired and really carried Klal Yisrael for their first, first 40 years as a nation from Yitzhak Mitzrayim, Matan Torah, and the 40 years of the desert. And, of course, Moshe Rabbeinu brings us onto the brinks of Eretz Yisrael, which is uh, it's withheld from him to go into Eretz Yisrael, but he brings us to there. Yeshua is his disciple, as we brought the Pasuk, Yeshua ben Nun, never left Moshe Rabbeinu's side, was the ultimate disciple, and later the ultimate successor to Moshe Rabbeinu. And Moshe and Yeshua really are a certain level by themselves, of the ultimate manhigim of Klal Yisrael. And Yeshua sort of finishes the job that Moshe begins, of bringing us into Eretz Yisrael. So as Moshe passes away right before going into Eretz Yisrael, Yeshua brings us into Eretz Yisrael and, and, is, uh, and leads Klal Yisrael at that pivotal stage of conquering the land of Eretz Yisrael and dividing the land of Eretz Yisrael and settling the land of Eretz Yisrael. And that's Yeshua. And that's what he does for, the first, for, the, for those 14 years that um, when we come into Eretz Yisrael, the first seven years is primarily battles and the second seven years is more involved in the division of the land. And in the book of Yeshua, which we studied, we went through some of those stories and some of the happenings in those years, in the in uh, our first years in Eretz Yisrael. And at the end of Yeshua, in the last, uh, last very last parak, and what we discussed last week, is when Yeshua, Yeshua passes away. And from after Yeshua's passing, as I said, there's going to be many years, hundreds of years in Eretz Yisrael, before the first king of the Jewish people, before the Malachim. Um, and as we'll see, we're going to go through them step by step. There, we were, all, we're always led by tzaddikim, and the tzaddikim in that era were called the shoiftim, the judges. Yeshua is called the first of that line of shoiftim, of great judges of Klal Yisrael. But as we'll see, we went through a lot of ups and downs in those years. Um, years of following the ways of Hashem, and therefore prosperous and successful years, and years of straying from the path of following the ways of Hashem, and therefore a lot of difficulties. And that's really what the story of the Shaftim are, really the ups and downs of Klal Yisrael in that period of time, <coughs> until we finish the book of Shaftim, and then we'll come to Shmuel, who Shmuel is the great Navi, who is ultimately going to anoint the, anoint the first and the second kings of Klal Yisrael. Okay, so that's just a general, by way of introduction to this Sefer of Shaftim that we begin. Okay, Perik Aleph, the first chapter of Shaftim begins, that, the, that Yeshua has passed away already, and it says that the Klal Yisrael asks Hashem, um, so I'll, I'll read the first Pasuk, Vahi Achari Yeshua was after the passing of Yeshua, 
Vayishalu b'nei Yisrael b'Hashem Limur. The Jewish people asked by Hashem, Mi yala lanu ala k'nayni batchila lihilachem boi. Who should go first to wage battle with the k'nayni? Um, what that means is, first of all, what it means when they ask by Hashem, asking by Hashem means through the Urim Vitumim. We know there was the Kayin Gadol that was with them. Um, before there was Elazar Kayin Gadol, he passed away also in the last chapter of Yeshua, and then he was succeeded by his son, Pinchas, Pinchas ben Elazar. So and he had the, the Kayin Gadol was the form of asking for a Nevuah from Hashem, and they asked who should, um, who should go to battle first, because as we discussed last week, Although Yeshua divided the land and said exactly which parts of the land are for which tribe, there was still much that had to be conquered, much uh, much that had to be um, conquered and settled by the different uh, Shvatim. And really, each Shevet was on its own now, to go and conquer, to complete the job of conquering their particular part of Eretz Yisrael. So here they ask, okay, who should go first? Who should go first to conquer their part of the land? And Hashem responds, and He says, Vayemer Hashem Yehuda Ya'ale. Let Yehuda go first. Um, and here we have the Medrash comments that Yehuda is always first. Um, in, in, we have the 12 Shvatim, of course. Yehuda is called, as you know, the Melech, the king of all the Shvatim. And he's always first. Um, in Parshas Vayichi, when Yaakov talks about the Birchis Yaakov, so he says, Yehuda, Yehuda Yeducha Achecha. All of your brothers will praise you. All of your brothers will uh, submit to you. Um, when it came to the Yamsuf, who's the one who jumps into the Yamsuf and causes Kriyas Yamsuf? Is Nachshon ben Aminadav, who's the Nasi of the tribe of Yehuda. When it comes to the um, in- encampment of the Jewish people, when they traveled throughout the des- desert, so those four basic camps, each camp had three Shvatim, and the one that was right in front and would always go first was the Degel Machane Yehuda. So again, Yehuda was first. When it comes to kings, Kingdom is promised to the Shevet of Yehuda. Yaakov, in those birches, Yaakov already said, shevet mi Yehuda, that the staff of uh, royalty will always be in the tribe of Yehuda. Um, we have, there's the famous Ramban that we've discussed in the past, and we're coming on Hanukkah. The Ramban is, is uh, actually critiques the Chashmanoim. The, the great Sadiqim, the Chashmanoim, who are the heroes of the story of Hanukkah, the Ramban says that the fact that they after the story of Hanukkah, maintained the kingdom in their family. And they were the kings of Kal Yisrael. The Ramban says was a great critique against them. Because Melucha was promised to Yehuda. Kingdom is promised to the Shevet Yehuda. And that's why the Ramban contends, and others, uh, other great um, sages disagreed, but Ramban contends that that's why there's no one left from the Chashmenoim. Because that they, um, they trespassed, so to speak, into Yehuda's territory of being the Melech of the Shvatim. And of course, we know Mashiach, who we wait for, says it's from, going to be from Shevet Yehuda, that then the kingdom will return to the tribe of Yehuda forever. So be the, so the Medrash over here in the beginning of, of, of Shevetim makes that point that throughout history, always from the beginning till the end, Yehuda is always going to be the leader, the first one who leads off. Um, interestingly, when... when uh, when it's when Yosef asks that Binyamin be brought down to Mitzrayim, and Yaakov doesn't want to send Binyamin, and which Shevet is the one who says who gets Yaakov to send Binyamin is Yehuda, and he says then Anoichi Aarvenu Miyadi Tevakshenu I guarantee I become the guarantor for Binyamin, and as the Rebbe pointed out many times 
that's the symbol of leadership. Yehuda was the leader, Yehuda was the Melech. The leader is the one who guarantees, who takes, uh, who takes on to be the guarantor for everyone. And that was Yehuda. So here, coming back to our piece, so Hashem says, who should go first to conquer their, their part should be Yehuda. Now, interestingly, and I remember one of you asked, I think it was last um, week, did any of the Shvatim um, help each other? Did each one just do his own his own chilek? So here, right in the beginning of Shaftim, Yehuda tells Shimon, come, you help me and I'll help you. And that's an amazing concept. Right in the beginning of of, uh, of the of Shaftim, Yehuda asks uh, his his um, the other Shavit, those the people of the Shavit of Shimon, he says, you come and wage battle with me in my part, and then I will wage battle with you in your part. And ultimately, Takim, we find that Shimon inherits together with Yehuda. In other words, their, their sections are one next to the other. And Yehuda was very helpful, especially with Shimon, and Yehuda was these mighty warriors, in helping them inherit their part of the land as well. So they worked together as a unit when it came to um, when it came to conquering their part of Eretz Yisrael. And it's interesting, going back in Chumash to Pashas V'zeis HaBracha, when you have Moshe Rabbeinu giving the brachas to Yehuda, he says, Shema Hashem Koyul Yehuda. Hashem should listen to the voice of Yehuda. And Rashi says, Rashi in Chumash and V'zeis HaBracha, that Moshe Rabbeinu used the words Shema Hashem, when he's talking to Yehuda, Kashma is alluding to Shevet Shimon. And here he was being Meramis, he was alluding and hinting to the bracha of Shimon within the brachas of Yehuda. Because ultimately they were going to inherit together in the land of Eretz Yisrael. And it's interesting to note that Shimon, when you think about the Shvatim in Chumash, Shimon really seems to be on the losing end in a number of places. When it comes to Birchas Yaakov, when Yaakov benches this, his sons, so there he doesn't bench Shimon or Levi, because Yaakov was upset with them for the story of Shem. So in the Chumash, Yaakov doesn't bench Shimon and Levi. Moshe Rabbeinu does bench Levi, but not Shimon. Moshe doesn't bench Shimon because of the story of Zimri. Um, the whole story of Zimri and Cosby, you had the prince of Shimon, who was having a... Uh, an uh, immoral um, relationship with the Midianite princess. And he challenges Moshe Rabbeinu in public. So Moshe Rabbeinu doesn't ban Shimon. So of all the Shvatim, the only one who's not blessed, clearly, not by Yaakov Avinu and not by Moshe Rabbeinu, is the Shevet of Shimon. And yet, where is Shimon alluded to in the Bracha of Yehuda? And that just goes back to what we talked about, Yehuda being the one who takes responsibility for any Shefra all the Shvatim even the one who's not being benched, not getting a bracha, um, Yehuda, who's the Melech, is going to see to it that he should also be receive a bracha. And here, when they're coming to um, to actually conquer their party, Baruch Yisrael, Yehuda approaches Shimon and says, let's uh, let's work together and let's conquer together your part and my part. And that's what happens. Shimon becomes very closely connected with Yehuda, who's the Melech of all the Shvatim. Okay, the pastor goes on and says and goes through the details of the various battles and how Yehuda and Shimon were successful in um, conquering and inheriting their parts of Eretz Yisrael. Um, it talks about certain points that we already mentioned in Yeshua, uh, because now is when it actually happens that they conquer Hebron and Hebron is given to Kalev. You might remember from previous classes, and um, then Kalev gets stuck with a place called Devir or Kiryas Sefer, and he asks who can come and conquer it, and it's Asniel ben Kenaz who's another great tzaddik who's going to come up later, 
Um, and he's able to conquer that area, and he marries Kalev's daughter. Again, these are all things that were already mentioned earlier in the end of Yehoshua, but now is when they actually happen. Then the Pasuk tells us something interesting. It talks about the group, the children of the Kani, the father-in-law of Moshe, come up from the Ir Hatzmarim, from the city of Dates. Who are we talking about? So here, the Mepharshim say we're talking about the descendants of Yisrael. Right? Remember, of course, Yisrael is Moshe Rabbeinu's father-in-law. And Moshe Rabbeinu marries Sipira. And then Yisrael, in the Parsha of Yisrael, comes to join the, comes to the Jewish people in the desert and he spends some time there. But then he leaves. Then Yisrael leaves. Excuse me for one minute. Let me just plug in this computer. There we go. Okay. So after Yisrael visits with the Jewish people in the desert, Yisrael leaves and goes back to Midian. But ultimately, his descendants go to Eretz Yisrael. So Yisrael's descendants come to Eretz Canaan before the Jewish people, not together with the Jewish people. That's, that could be confusing. Um, again, the Jewish people are coming from Mitzrayim to the desert to Israel. Yisrael, who's the father-in-law of Moshe Rabbeinu, visited them in the desert, but then went back home. Now, it, Rashi says in, Parsha, in the Torah portion of Yisrael, after... Uh, I'm sorry, in the third person of Baloscha, Rashi says that Yisr goes back home to be Megayer his family, to um, to have his family convert. But they never come and rejoin the Jewish people in the desert. So they moved to Israel way before the Jews came to Israel. Then it was Eretz Canaan. So now, when Kalal Yisrael is finally conquering and dividing and settling Eretz Yisrael, so Yisrael's sons and grandsons come to join with Klal Yisrael and settle with them. They're Jews, they were, they're converts, but they didn't travel with them through the desert. So they join Yehuda, and they live in, at least some of them it says, join Yehuda and live in their cities as well. Um, there's an interesting an interesting uh, uh, Gemara here, which is that it talks about the sons of Yisrael. But we didn't know Yisrael has sons. We always know he has seven daughters. Where are the sons from? Right? So so the Gemara says something very interesting. Um, the Gemara says um, that there was two people in history that initially only had daughter, daughters. And when a tzaddik joined the family... So he brought an additional bracha and they started having sons. Who are those two people? It says, the first one was Lavan. When Yaakov comes down to Haran, who's the one that's coming with the sheep to the well? Is Rachel. Now, where were her brothers? Why, why, is, why is the daughter bringing the sheep to the well? So Rashi says, Lavan didn't have any sons. Yet, 20 years later, when Yaakov was on the way out of Choron, it talks about Lavan who showed up with his sons chasing Yaakov. So where did the sons come from? Says the Medrash that Yaakov brought additional bracha to the home. So till now, there was, Lavan had his daughters. Once Yaakov came, Lavan also had sons. Says the Medrash, the same thing is with Yisrael. Until Moshe Rabbeinu came into the family, Yisrael had seven daughters. That's it. But once Moshe Rabbeinu came into the family, now there's an additional tzaddik in the house pretty fine tzaddik, Moshe Rabbeinu, and he brought the additional bracha, and now Yisra gave birth to sons as well, Yisra and his wife gave birth to sons as well, 
And that's the sons who we're talking about now that suddenly they're coming out of the woodwork in Eretz Yisrael and rejoining, rejoining with Klal Yisrael. So I found that as an interesting idea. Um, not fully exactly connected, but this reminds me of an interesting story that's connected with the times we just passed by of Yutes Kislev. And Yutes Kislev, which was just this past week, um, this past Shabbos, two days ago, um, is, of course, the yard site of the Magid of Mezrich and the Chag HaGeula of his disciple, the Alter Rebbe. But a point that some people know, some people don't, is that the Alter Rebbe for many years only had daughters also. And he asked his Rebbe, the Mezrich Magid, for a bracha. He wanted to have a son as well. He didn't have for many years. And the Magid told him an interesting segula, which is, he said, Achnosas Orchem. Bring guests into your home. And he said, he touched the Pasuk into Hillam. The Pasuk says, Bamei Yizakin Naris Orcho. And he touched it in an unusual way. How you want to be Zochet, have a Nart, have your own son, have Orchim, have guests in your home. And then, as the Magid was passing away, he told Alter Rebbe, In one year you'll have a son and name him after me. And that's Rebdov Ber, the Mittler Rebbe, who was the Alter Rebbe's son, born from that Bracha of the Magid. Okay, but <laughs> let's come back, back to the Tanakh. Um, Okay, so after we have Yehuda goes to conquer his parts of the land with, together with Shimon, and the children of Yisro join them, then the pastor goes on to talk about the Muhammad of Yosef. After Yehuda, we have Yosef who goes to conquer parts of Eretz Yisro. Um, and there, there's a, it's an interesting story um, that Yosef, they want, they're trying to conquer a certain land, a certain city, and they couldn't, that was in the section of Yosef, and that was called Luz. And Iroquois, they couldn't figure out any way to get into the city. And the Pasik says that they met one person who was going out of the city, and they asked him, uh, how do you get into the city? And he realized that Kali Yisrael was going to conquer like every other part of Yisrael, and he said, what will you do for me if I show you how to go in? And they said, we'll save you. You and your family will all be safe. And he said, fine. He showed them the way in. They were able to go in and conquer the city. But this person and his family were saved. He says, they went somewhere else. They established a city called Luz. There was some type of magical city that had a tremendous level of longevity, and it was a city that was never destroyed, it says, in much later years, Nebuchadnezzar came and destroyed the world, Sancherev destroyed. This was a city of Bracha because he helped the children of Yosef conquer that city of Luz. It's a story that's mentioned here in Tanakh. Okay, the Pasuk, now, but now the Pasuk moves on to areas and starts, and now is where critique begins, because a number of the Shvatim did not fulfill their mission, which is, they would conquer a place, sort of, but leave the people living there. Leave the people, the Knainim or the Chitim, the Amorim, living there. Now, these were people that Moshe Rabbeinu initially and Yoshua had expressly said that they may not stay here. They have to either leave the land or convert or be killed because these were very, very immoral and decadent people. And that was the mitzvah. They can leave. You don't have to kill them. They can leave the land or they could convert. And everything, or they have to be killed. But um, tribe after tribe of the Yidin did not do that. And this is the beginning of a downturn of events. The Pasuk says that um, Menashe, the tribe of Menashe, did not totally, um, again, remove all of the people from their places. And Ephraim, and Zevulun, and Usher, and Naphtali. We know that one of the traits that there is amongst the Jewish people is Rachmanus. And Rachmanus 
is a very good thing to have, but sometimes can be negative. Sometimes when you have Rachmanus, where you're not supposed to have Rachmanus, you have Rachmanus on people who are cruel and people who are uh, wicked and evil, so that is a Rachmanus not in the right place. And this is where the Navi starts telling us in the end of the first parak of Shaftim that Klal Yisrael began not listening to Hashem and not fully inheriting and dividing the land of Eretz Yisrael as they were told to do. And on that note, that's how Perik Aleph finishes. Perik Beis begins, a direct extension to that, and it starts with interesting words. It says, Vayal Malach Hashem That an angel of Hashem came forward, uh, I'm sorry, Vayal Malach Hashem Min HaGilgal, um, a Malach from Hashem came forth from Gilgal, El HaBochim, to the place of crying, we'll explain that in a moment, and he started telling them, why are you not listening to Hashem? Now, who is this Malach Hashem that was coming suddenly to rebuke the Jewish people, says Rashi, says the, from the Gemara, that we're talking about Pinchas, Pinchas ben Elazar, who was the Kohen Gadol now at that time, right? We mentioned it already, his father Elazar had passed away in the end of last Perik, and Pinchas is now the Tzaddik um, that's there at the time, or one of the great Tzaddikim at the time, and he rebukes Klal Yisrael, and he talks to them about Hashem brought you out of Mitzrayim, and he promised you this land, and he told you what you have to do, and he said the only way that you're going to be able to remain here is if you remain a spiritual people who follows Hashem, and that's by not allowing these idolatrous and immoral people to live here amongst you. And Pinchas spoke these words to the Jewish people, and they all started crying and doing tshuva, and that's why this place be called, um, sorry, became called Bochim, the place of crying, because of the fact that all of them crowd, uh, cry, that is, and did tshuva at that time. But as we're going to see, going through Shaftim, this was a constant up and down. Uh, doing tshuva, crying out to Hashem, going back to the sinful ways, and then ultimately, as we'll see, even becoming idolatrous, and so on and so forth, and ups and downs and ups and downs is really the story that pervades through the book of Shaftim, where we listen to Hashem and things go well, and then we stop and things go bad, and this goes back and forth as we will see. So this is the first time where that happens. And really that's what the remainder of this Perik, Perik Beis of Shaftim describes. The second uh, Perik of Shaftim describes the general up and down of that whole era. Um, it talks about how you know Yeshua... Um, you know, did all the tremendous nisim and miracles that we discussed in the previous classes in Yeshua, whether it was stopping the sun in mid, in middle of the sky, whether it was uh, miraculous stones that fell from heaven, or the way that uh, the walls of Yericho fell down, or the way that the Yardin was split. So you had many people who saw all of these miracles. So therefore, in the days of Yeshua, and even after he passed away, as long as the people remembered, and by and large, they remained God-fearing people. However, after the death of Yeshua and after the death of the Zkenim and the older people who experienced all the nisim of Yeshua, so, as the Pasuk describes, people started sinning and they started becoming idolatrous because they left idolatrous people amongst them. And with time, when that happened, Hashem took away that protection, um, the miraculous protection that He gave them. And suddenly, they were losing wars as much as they were winning wars. And they found themselves many times under very oppressive um, kings and regimes. And you had the Shoftim, all the different judges that would get up and they would rebuke them. Sometimes they'd be listened to, sometimes not. The Shoftim would pass away and Klal Yisrael would slide again. So the Navi in Perig Beis talks about the ups and downs of this whole Tekufa, this whole era of the Shoftim. That's the, basically Perig Beis. We go into Perig Gimel. 
And in Perugimel Hashem, it starts talking about the various nations, the wicked nations that were left in Israel, that we did not conquer and remove, and that they ultimately were the source of Tsaris for hundreds of years for us. And primary amongst them was the Plishtim, um, which is translated as the um, Philistines, not the Palestinians. The Plishtim are the Philistines. I'm not saying the Palestinians are good, but that's not who we're talking about. Um, and the uh, and the Kenaimim and others. So in Perigimel it starts off that at that time Klal Yisrael started intermarrying to the Plishtim, and they started therefore becoming idolatrous, and uh, things became from bad to worse, and a uh, king arose from amongst the Plishtim, and his name was Kushan Rishasayim. Um, so that's a name that we don't know from before, Kushan. Rishasayim really means double Russia. Who's wicked on top of wicked, like Russia times two is Rishasayim. So that's Kushan Rishasayim. Now, there's an interesting medrash, and you know, this medrashim are fascinating. This medrash tells us that Kushan really is two other Rishayim that we've heard about in Chumash. And we don't know still exists. We think they probably passed away a long time ago. One of them is Lavan. According to a medrash, Lavan, the father-in-law of Yaakov, who tried to, uh, to trick Yaakov and ultimately chase Yaakov hundreds of years earlier, still stuck around, and that's Kushan. And the medrash says in another, and he's also Beor. Who is Beor? The father of Bilam, you know, Bilam ben Beor. So there's, according to the medrash, this is, there's one, it's one person, Lavan in the time of Yaakov. Bilam, who's cursing, trying to curse the Jewish people. I'm sorry, Bilam ben Baor, Baor, the father of Bilam, and that is this Kushan now who comes back to become the oppressive king among, to the Jewish people after the passing of Yeshua when the Jewish people start sinning. Um, be that as it may, the, the pasuk says that he ruled over the Jewish people very harshly for eight years. Um, and those were very eight very difficult years. And then the Jewish people were saved by the tzaddik of that time, and this is a tzaddik who we met already, Asniel ben Kenaz. Asniel ben Kenaz was able to stand up and wage a battle against this um, Kushan and vanquish him and bring the Yidin to Tshuva. And Asniel is considered the second Shofet. So we're, as, as we go through Shoftim, we're going to see how many Shoftim we had. The first one is Yehoshua. Yehoshua is considered the first Shofet. And the next one is this Asniel ben Kenaz, who was also the son-in-law of Kalev ben Yefune, as we saw. And he leads the Jewish people. He, he, he uh, emerges as the next great leader, really, after Yehoshua. The Pasuk says that then the, the land became quiet under Asniel ben Kenaz, for 40 years. For 40 years, he was the accepted ruler of Klal Yisrael, and he ruled and led them. Um, it seems that the 40 years mean from the beginning of his time, and others, it includes the eight years of Kush, under Kushan. So there's really eight years under Kushan, and then the 32 years that the, the Klal Yisrael was again freed from an oppressive ruler, and they were and they were led by this tzaddik who was a Sneel ben Kenaz. Pasuk says, goes on to say that ultimately after those 40 years, Asniel passes away. And when he passes away, the Pasuk says, his effect passes away. And Kalal Yisrael reverts to their idolatrous 
ways and again intermarrying and again connecting to the ways of the land. All of this, we're going to see this is this is a pattern. So it's, it's like it's hard for us even when you're reading it, like why would they do the same mistake again and again? But that's the story of history. And it all has to do with the fact that they didn't listen to their first mitzvah, which was to get rid of the negative influences in the land. They never did it. And because they never did it, they kept on falling back there. Tzaddik gets up, the Tzaddik saves them, things are good, Tzaddik is gone, and that's the story of the Shoftim. Again, it's a, it's a pretty sad story, but that's the story of Shoftim. So, after um, Asniel ben Kenaz passes away, the Pasuk says, that the people continue to sin, and now again, the next king comes up, the next evil king, and he is Eglon. Eglon, the king of Moab. Eglon, Melech, Melech um, Moab. And he teams up with some of our good friends, the children of Ammon and Amalek, and they fight against the Jewish people and they take over. And Eglon Melech Moab becomes the new oppressive king over the Jewish people in the land of Eretz Yisrael at that time. And for 18 years, he rules very oppressively against, um, against the Jewish people. And another again, Klal Yisrael cries out to Hashem, and they realize we made a big mistake, and they want to do tshuva. And Hashem sends the next shofet. Shofet number three is Ehud ben Gera. Okay, we don't know a tremendous amount about him. He's from Shevet Binyamin, and he was a bit tzaddik. And again, Ehud ben Gera is called the, the shofet, the third shofet. Again, we had Yeshua, we had uh, Asniel ben Knaz, and now we have Ehud ben Gera. And Eir ben Gera is ultimately able to bring people to tshuva, and he is able to um, he's able to overthrow this Eglon Melech Moav. And the pasuk talks about it. It's a whole long story, which I'm not going to get into the details. But he's basically able to. He actually goes into the palace of Eglon himself, and he he says he's coming with a gift, and he comes with many people, and he gives a whole gift. But then he says, I have a private audience I want to have with the king, and he smuggles in a spear. And he himself, he's, uh, he himself comes to uh, the king Eglon. He tells him, I have a special special message to you from Hashem. And everyone has to leave the room. And at that point, he kills Eglon Melech Moav. Um, he kills him, and he goes out and locks the door, and he runs away. Again, the, the details of the story, I'm not going through all the stories of the Tanakh. But he does that, and then he's able to bring Klal Yisrael together. They're able to wage battle and overthrow this um, leadership of Mo- the Moavim and the Knainim and the, and the Amalekim over the Jewish people at that time. Yes? Rabbi Silverberg, um, how were the Shoftim appointed? How were the Shoftim appointed? That's an interesting question, and I don't have an answer. The Pusik definitely doesn't talk about it. You know what? Let me look into that and see if I can get back to you by our next class about that. Um, the way the way the pasuk just describes it is that he was a great tzaddik who rose up and was accepted by the Jewish people and um, and brought them to tshuva and therefore did what he had to do. Um, they, see, they didn't have the same like legal powers as a melech. Now, later we'll have the melachim. A melech was appointed, was anointed. A melech was anointed with the sheman hamishcha with the uh, oil for anointing, and there was malchim David in Yisrael. The shayftim sounds more like just tzaddikim who just rose up and they brought the Yidin to Tshuva and they led them in their battles against these people. Um, so was there any official appointment? Not that I know of, but again, let me look into it and get back to you, Amir Sasha. Yes? Sorry, Father. myself. Um, as opposed to the Nevi'im, the Nevi'im had prophecy, but 
were there no Nevi'im who were also Shoftim? There were. Some of the like Devorah, right? Yeah. We're getting to Devorah. She's. Uh, I think we're gonna get to her in next class. Um, Devorah is a special name to me now, especially. But um, we're going to uh, we're gonna get to Devorah next class. But she was clearly a Nevia. Yoshua was clearly a Nevia. Some were. Some it says they were, and some it doesn't say. So they may have been or may not have been. It doesn't say that. But some of them clearly were. Some of this. Some of these shaytim, as we're gonna go through them um, one by one. Some of them it says clearly that they were that they were. Like Devorah being an example of that. Yeah, no, it would be interesting to, to know it, how they were appointed or what happened. Right, right, right. For right. them to, yeah. Right, so okay. as, far as, as far as a Navi, a Navi's appointment is just a person who you see as a tzaddik and says Nivua and says the future and promises the future and the future happens. The Rambam talks about how a Navi is determined to be a Navi. There's no official appointment of a person as a Navi. It's a behavior pattern and the fact that they do do nevuah. Again, the Shaiftim, based on the reading of the Psukim, seem like great tzaddikim who are leaders of the Jewish people and Klai Yisrael rallied around them. It doesn't seem like there was any official type of appointment to it, but again, I will try to get back to us on that. Emir Hashem. Okay, so this is, so we're holding here by the third Shaifit, who is Ehud ben Geira, I said from the Shevet of Binyamin, and he is able to kill and ultimately overthrow the Melucha of Eglon Melech Moab, who um, oppressed the Jewish people for 18 years. Um, interesting piece of information. This Eglon Melech Moab, who was this tremendously wicked person, had a very special daughter. Who am I talking about? Rus. The great Rus Hamoavia, who comes from Moab, is the daughter of this evil king. And here Chazal tells us something very beautiful, and that is that though Eglon was a wicked man, but he clearly carried a certain respect for Hashem. And where do we see that? Because when Ehud ben Geru comes and says, listen, I have a message to you from Hashem. So Eglon stands up out of deference, out of respect to receive that message. So he's definitely a wicked person, an evil person, a murderous person. And he had to be killed. But nevertheless, that covered, that respect that he showed to Hashem, tells us that there was something there. And that ultimately came out through his daughter. That daughter, Rus, who ultimately, of course, is going to become the Gieris, not just the Gieris, but really the symbol of Gieris, and the one who's the grandmother of David Melech, and therefore the forebearer of Mashiach, really all comes from this Eglon Melech Moev, who had this daughter of Rus. And that's one of the fascinating turn, you know, how, how the stories of Tanakh turn from the most wicked to the Tzadikim, and how one uh, really leads into the other. Okay, after Ehud ben Geira kills. Um, Eglon Melech Moav, and there's a battle that ensues, and Klai Yisrael is again free. Ehud ben Geira leads the Jewish people for 80 years. And that's 80 years of serving Hashem, 80 years of rallying around this great Shefet. So though he's perhaps not a name that we that we know as commonly as, you know, Yeshua or Pinchas, but he played a very pivotal role and was a leader of Klai Yisrael for a very long time. This third of our Shaftim, Ehud ben Geira, again, he overthrows the oppressive rule and he leads the Klal Yisrael. It says, for 80 years it was quiet in the land and by and large the people were, um, were God-fearing. So those were good years. Um, in the end of the Perak, in the end of chapter 3, we read about one more um, Shaftim, which we know very little about. And his name was Shamgar ben Anas. 
And it seems he only led the Jewish people for a very short period of time. Because being that Ehud lived for 80 years, or led for 80 years, so right when he passed away, this Shamgar ben Anas was there, and he led, but he passed away, he was only for one year. He came from the tribe of Levi, from Shevet Levi, and he was a tzaddik, and he says he led, he was able to do certain uh, miraculous uh, events in trying, in, in uh, waging certain battle against the enemies of the Jewish people, but there's really, I think, only one or two psukim devoted to him. Um, and so he, he led for a short period of time, but he was a shefet, Shamgar ben Anas, and he led Klal Yisrael with great strength for less than a year after the passing of Ehud ben Gera. But if we're going to have a list of our shefetim, he would be shefet number four. Right? If we start from Yeshua being the first, and then Asniel ben Kenaz the second from the tribe of Yehuda, and then Yeshua himself was the tribe of Yosef, right, from Ephraim. And then you have uh, Sneel and Knaz from Yehuda. Ehud ben Gera was number three from Binyamin. And number four is this Shamgar ben Anas, and he's from the Shevet Levi. And that's how uh, Perig Gimel finishes here in Sheftim. Perig Dalid opens up. We're back down. It's back uh, sliding again, right? Because um, Ehud ben Gera is gone, and Shamgar ben Anas is gone. So Klal Yisrael now slide again and return to sinful ways. And a new king then rises up, and that is his name is Yavin, the king of Kinaan, and he's another oppressive king against the Jewish people, and he has a great powerful general named Sisra. Um, and the the Tanakh wants to describe Sisra's military might and strength, and says that he had nine hundred. Iron chariots, which I guess in today's language would be 900 uh, of the best uh, level tanks or planes. So he had the the, the greatest uh, force, uh, military force, amassed at that time. So that now, Klal Yisrael, again, the Shaftim are sort of the Shaftim that we had behind us have already passed away. We've returned to sinful and idolatrous ways, and now we fall under the hands of this, again, Yavin, king of Canaan, with his general Sisra who are now going to oppress Klal Yisrael for 20 years, 20 years of, of difficult oppression. And it's at this point that we're going to meet the first Shoifet, who's a woman, and that is Devorah, who's going, that, that leads into the fascinating story and then song of Devorah, but that's what we are going to leave for our next class, Emir Hashem. So that's all, that's in the beginning of Perik Dalid, um, and we're going to start from where we leave off, where we leave it off, um, with the story of Devera, who's going to be the fifth Shefet, well, she's called a Shefetess, but the fifth in the list of Shefetim of Kral Yisrael, and most, in a most remarkable way, a woman, for the first time in Tanakh, that a woman is going to really take the helm of leading Kral Yisrael at that time. So, Rabbi Silverberg, yes. I just wanted to know for next week, because it's Hanukkah, do we meet or not? I didn't remember. So, I don't think so. I don't think so. 